you tonight. Uh, thank you for that introduction, Eunice. Um, I don't know. I really, I'm not stressed about my finals at all. I think I, I was more just concerned with the word that I was going to preach tonight. And uh, I don't know, maybe I should have my priorities right and be a little bit stressed about both. But tonight, I really felt my heart um, heavy with the right word to speak tonight to each of you. And I think the reason um, it was my heart was feeling that way is um, if you know me, if you've been on missions with me, if you've if you've uh, been around at New Philly, which is the church that Emmaus is under, I don't really get that nervous preaching in front of people. And there's only been a couple times, you know, like at my preaching practicum, and then um, one time before I preached at an orphanage in Cambodia, and it's because right before I I began to speak. God said, Rona, before you open your mouth, you need to know who it is you're speaking to. You're not preaching to what the world calls orphans, but you're preaching to my precious sons and daughters, and they're the future hope of Cambodia. So don't take this word lightly. And I got really nervous under the fear of the Lord, and I felt some of that today. I felt that, like, I'm not preaching to just some college students in the midst of their finals weeks. I'm not preaching to some 19, 20-year-olds who are still trying to figure out what they're going to major in or what they're going to do after their four years of college. But I felt like God was really saying, take this word seriously. I want them to take themselves seriously as well. And so um, I'm going to preach to you guys tonight coming from Acts chapter 9. So you can go ahead and pull out your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 9 with me. So um, I'm going to just intro with a question to you before we get into the text. Have you ever been wiped out and completely knocked on your butts? Anybody here? Anybody here? I think if you've been in Korea very long during a winter, then you all will say yes because it's so slippery and no matter what kind of traction boots you have, you're going you're gonna to slip, you're going to fall, you're going to get up really fast and hope that no one saw you and run away. You know, all of us have been there. There's no shame. But, um, you know, my life has been filled with moments when I was completely knocked on my butt. And um, I recently got to hear this story about my best friend, Tina, And recently, she wiped out and fell on the ground. I don't know if you guys saw her, but I heard after large group, where's she at? I want to make eye contact so I can laugh. Anyway, she's not here, so I'll just tell the story. So she fell, um, this pothole found her foot. She fell and hit the ground. And then like a week later, it happened again. And she was just, she just wiped out. And, and I remember there were some key moments I fell flat on my face. I fell flat on my butt. Um, One was in elementary school. All the teachers said at recess, do not run underneath the monkey bars, Rona. Don't run under the monkey bars. And, And I don't know why. I just thought, like, what are these rules for, you know? What? And so I remember running underneath the monkey bars and a very large third grader falling on top of me as I ran under. And in that moment, I wiped out you know, there was this profound revelation <laughs> to not run underneath the monkey bars ever again. And I remember um, in college, 
I think it was my freshman or sophomore year, Missouri State is where I went, a public school, and there was like, there's crazy ice storms that, that go through Missouri State, and I remember I was so into school, I was like, hey, if I wait another day, the ice storm's going to hit, I can't commute from Arkansas, where I'm from, so I'm going to go a week early and get to the dorms early so that I don't have to miss class if the ice storm's bad. Like, that's how legit of a student I was, okay? So I went there early. I was just chilling in the dorms, and then one of my guy friends, he frantically comes into my my floor, and he said, my car is dead. Can somebody jumpstart my car? And so I was like, yeah, I have, I have the little cable things in my car. So I, I slipped on my Birkenstock sandals in an ice storm, and then I ran outside to go jumpstart his car. And as I was running, I slipped and I fell flat on my face. Yeah, and, and the ice actually numbed my fall, and I started laughing. Um, but it still hurt, so once I checked my teeth and all that stuff, I was like, oh, it's fine. But then my friend looked at me, and she's like, oh, my gosh. She was shaking because my chin was busted open. And then when I, when I looked in the mirror at my bro, like busted up chin, this other profound revelation came to me. You should not wear Birkenstock sandals in an ice storm, okay? And, and so there's many lessons that we can learn <laughs> whenever we fall flat on our butts. There's many lessons we learn while we're on the ground, while we're flat on our faces, Right? So we can all laugh about that. We can laugh about me and about Tina, your CD, falling on her face. But sometimes whenever we get knocked on our butts regarding our spiritual walk, it's a little bit different. And tonight, I really believe that God wants to teach us wisdom about what that's supposed to look like. When we get knocked on our butts, what that's supposed to look like. And what I really want to release tonight, what was heavy on my heart, is that the key to longevity and steadfastness in our spiritual walks is, the de- is developing the ability to rise again. To rise again. Everybody say, rise again. Rise. To rise again once we've been knocked on our butts. Oh, you don't have to re- repeat all that, guys. All right, so with that, let's open up to Acts chapter 9. Y'all know that at the beginning of the semester, we like to preach on, on the Emmaus Road, the Emmaus Road encounter, um, and we started a new youth ministry at New Philly called Damascus Youth Group, and the text that that youth group name came out of is right here, okay, the conversion of Saul, and we're going to start with a message on, about a road to Emmaus, and we're going to end this semester with a message on a road to Damascus. And, and I have a reason for that, why I want to single out Paul, the Apostle Paul, tonight. And so let's look at Acts chapter 9. And I believe it's chapter, or verse 9, that I'm going to start reading from. I'm going to read from the ESV. You can read from whatever um, version you have. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this text kind of drops us in the middle of a lot of stuff happening here. 
Okay, a little background on Paul, who's called Saul at this time, is that you guys know he wrote half the New Testament, all those letters to the churches, he wrote them. Okay, he set up churches in all of these, these countries. He went on missionary journeys. He was flogged and beaten and imprisoned, yet he remained faithful. He was a powerful man of God, an apostle to the Gentiles. But at this point, it was before he did all those amazing things. Okay? At this moment in Paul's life, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was someone who stood by as they martyred Stephen. Okay? He was on his way to Damascus with arrest warrants okay, to bring Christians bound arrest them and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. He was on a mission. And he was one confident man. Okay? Uh, Philippians 3, 4 says, this is what Paul kind of viewed himself as. It says, I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. I'm Saul, and that's what I'm about, okay? You think you're faultless? I am faultless when you hold up my record to the law, okay? I'm a Pharisee. I've got all the zeal that you could ever imagine. I even persecute Christians. That's how much I'm devoted to God. And you have to know the faultlessness of Paul in regards to the law because it shows us why he was so zealous about persecuting Christians, okay? He was called a zealot. Everyone say zealot. And this term is actually a term given to Pharisees that, that do not allow for mixture in Judaism, okay? Which is what he thought Christianity was. There is one God who's worthy of being worshipped, Yahweh, And those who are devoted to Jesus, that's idolatry. That's mixing this religion to a one true God. Okay? So everything about Christianity, everything about Christians irked Paul. They mixed with Gentiles, which is not what you're supposed to do. They ate ceremonially unclean food, which is not what you're supposed to do. But more than anything, they exalted this man to the status of God. And you're definitely not supposed to do that. So this man who prized himself, prided himself on being faultless, on his devotion to God, of never messing up, of worshiping, serving, thinking, functioning, doing everything right, persecuting those who do it wrong. He boasted in his righteousness. This man, he went out and said, I'm going to find all those who've got it wrong. I'm going to bind them. I'm going to bring them back to Jerusalem to be tried. But Paul was so concerned about not messing up, not mixing this religion, not making a mistake, that he was blind to the fact that he was completely off. He was completely off to what was actually true. This man not only had zeal and passion to accomplish his mission, but he had the status as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, studying under the best Jewish scholar, his righteous deeds all on display. And Paul was confident that he was the man that was meant to fulfill this assignment. He had a mission to complete. 
And I want us to pick up on at verse 3. It says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, everybody say, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I'm not the only one who wiped out and fell flat on my face. Even Apostle Paul fell to the ground, right? Not just Tina either. Okay. Um, What's happened here is Paul, this strong, bold, confident persecutor of Christians, he's about to enter into a city with arrest warrants to drag people out because of their faith. He gets knocked on his faultless, righteous, Hebrew booty. Okay? And in that moment, Jesus says something to him. He says, Saul... Saul. Jesus calls Saul by his name. He speaks directly to him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And can you imagine what Saul must have felt in that moment? But God, I've devoted my whole life to knowing what is right and what is wrong, what's the law and and what is sin, and I've been faultless and I've been righteous and I've been trying to worship you well, and look at everything I've done. Look at, look at, I'm so zealous that I'm even persecuting people who are doing it wrong. This is how much I'm devoted to worshiping you right, to not making a mistake. And he falls on his butt, and God says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Can you imagine? That's his entire life. His entire way of thinking, his entire way of relating to God. And in a moment, God just trips him up. The word of God says that pride comes before the fall, but God gives grace to the humble. And there are many ways that you and I even get knocked on our butts. And I don't just mean, you know, like when some big kid falls on you underneath the monkey bars or when you slip on ice, fall on your butts. But I mean that in like a figurative sense of falling on your butt, okay? Like when we encounter disappointments, when we fail, when we make mistakes, when different things come at us in our relationships, in our families, in our school, in our grades, there are many ways we get knocked on our butts. And we don't know why sometimes. Sometimes we think we're going strong, we're going the right way, but in a divine encounter, God does it. In his grace, he just comes and he encounters us. And I want to ask you this semester, what have your Saul, Saul moments been like? I think all of us have had these moments of encounter with Jesus where, where we were going one way and God encounters us and we get a revelation of who he is and we turn the other way, repent, and we go back to him, right? Or when we're at a retreat, and that's even what getting slain in the spirit is. It's about falling down and in that moment getting a revelation of the power and the weight and the goodness of God. A lot of things happen when you're on the ground, right? <laughs> So what have your Saul, Saul moments been like this semester? 
You know, sometimes God uses those falls to reveal things about us, reveal things within our hearts that he wants to bring out, bring healing to, okay, bring clarity to. I remember when my father passed away in 2012, it's the same time I began full-time ministry as well, and I thought I was doing the Lord's will and being obedient to him, and all of a sudden, this news comes from home, and it knocks me on my butt. It knocks the wind out of me, and I just get so disoriented in that moment. What the heck is going on? I'm trying to support Ray's, got to go home to his funeral, but while I was on my butt, I hope no one's getting offended that I keep saying the word, but it's okay. Just hop on over that offense, okay? Um, while I was on my butt, I, I remember I had a Saul, Saul moment. I heard the father say, Rona, Rona, you're not an orphan. You're a son, and I'm a good father. Every day I woke up, I was knocked on my butt when I woke up in the morning, but I heard him say, Rona, Rona, you're not an orphan, but a son. And every single day, I heard that revelation, and he spoke directly to me. I remember I had a difficult situation I was experiencing last year. And, and I remember I heard another Saul, Saul moment. Rona, Rona, if you only knew how much I treasured your heart, you wouldn't be concerned about this. And I wouldn't say I would go back and, and, allow, and, and say, yeah, I choose these difficult circumstances. I choose these disappointments. Yeah, bring them on. Yay, I love suffering, okay? Yay, I would, I would love to make these foolish decisions again, right, and get knocked on my butt. I'm not saying I would do it all again or I would choose those things. But what I'm saying is when you're knocked on your butt, listen up because God is speaking to you. And you can't get those Saul, Saul revelations directly from the voice of your shepherd, from sermons you listen to, from Christian TV shows you watch, from, from listening to the new Hillsong album over and over. There's nothing quite like hearing it directly from the voice of Jesus into your heart. There's nothing like realizing that the creator of the universe took time out of his busy schedule to speak directly to you. And then soon your situation is still real and the pain is still real. But there's a boldness and a strength that rises up in you because you know that he took the time to tell you that he's for you. That's what falling on your butt. That's how God can turn it all around. In those moments of disappointment or failure or difficulty, we all have a choice to make. We can stay knocked on our butts and listen to the lies of the enemy, or we can tune in to the voice of God that's speaking to us louder and more clearly in those moments than ever before. What I've come to believe about the Christian walk is this. It's a continual pattern of hitting our knees and rising again. Hitting our knees and rising again. Hitting our knees and rising again. And oftentimes, if it's been a while since we've hit our knees in humility and dependence on God, God will allow different things to knock us on our butt so that we eventually get to our knees, okay? Butt to knee is a lot shorter distance than standing to knees, right? Christianity is a lot about hitting your knees and, and rising up again after that. And I want us to look at verse 6. It says, Jesus speaking to Paul, he says, Now 
rise. Everybody say, now rise. Now rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Jesus said to Saul, Saul, now rise. So Saul rose. The same man that started his, his road, that started on this road in full confidence, breathing murderous threats against Christians, he rose from his fall, humbled, blinded, and led into Damascus by the hand by his friend. And this is what I mean by not wasting those moments while you're on the ground, knocked on your butt. Because when we rise again, God has done something powerful, irreplaceable, of great value within us. Paul was blinded to the way he used to think, the way he used to function, the way he used to serve God, the way he used to worship God, the way he even saw himself and what is of worth and what is of value in the kingdom. But Paul's eyes were open to what the truth was. His eyes were open to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And when Paul rose to his feet again, he was a changed man and a new man. He was humbled and dependent on the grace and strength of God and not himself. God had to knock Paul on his butt before he could use him. This same Paul who boasted in his faultlessness, in his righteousness, and in all of his accolades and strengths, you see in later letters he writes, what a significant change this falling on the butt had on him. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, continuing on, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I consider all that stuff I just boasted to you about as trash in order that I may find him in order that I may be found in him. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, makes me look at all the stuff I used to boast in, and it's just rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is through faith. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, Paul says again, Jesus speaks to Paul and says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul responds, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Later on, in, in 
chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. This isn't the same man pre-knocked on his butt. Can you guys see the difference? Can you guys see the difference? Verse 16 and 17 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It doesn't seem like Paul wasted that time on the ground. God opened up his eyes to what was true. Paul stood up blinded in the natural, but for the first time, he could actually see. God was saying, Paul, you've actually been blind in the spiritual this entire time. You've been blind to the truth with your spiritual eyes, but your natural eyes could see perfectly. And now for three days, I'm going to blind you in the natural so that your spiritual eyes can finally see what's real and what's true. And that is what God is continually doing inside of each of us. Opening our eyes up to what is true. That's what revelation means. Oh, God gave me a word. God gave me a revelation. You know what it means? It just means that he's opened up your eyes to something true about him and his kingdom that you couldn't see before. Okay? Our vision begins to change. And Paul says, what I used to consider gain, I now consider rubbish compared to Christ. Because once I've seen him, it doesn't even compare with him. It doesn't even compare to the glorious riches I have in him. You know, there's... um, this, this analogy that C.S. Lewis wrote in Chronicles of Narnia. And he basically just wrote about these dwarves. I'm going to butcher this analogy, but the point I'm going to get across, okay? So there's like this banqueting table, and on this table is the best choicest of foods, best meal. It's, it's an eloquent feast. Eloquent? It's a, luxur- a extravagant feast. I need to, okay, Uh, it's an extravagant feast that's been set out for them. And then there's like these little dwarves, okay? And their backs are turned to the feast, and they've just got mud pies in front of them. And, And there's some people that left the table and said, hey, turn around, open your eyes, like this is what you need to be eating. And they said, all we can see is mud. They're just feeding us mud. They're just feeding us mud, Okay. Their eyes are only open to the rubbish, and they, are, they have their backs turned to the feast that's right behind them. And that's kind of what it's like sometimes with us. Sometimes we only see the rubbish, and we think, oh, this is all there is. This is life. And God says, there's so much more I have for you. If you'll just let me open, if you just let me knock you on your butt, if you'll just come to your knees, let me reveal myself to you. Reveal myself to you because there's so much more. You don't need to be eating this mud, this dirt, this filth. When there's a banqueting table waiting for you. 
And Paul, when he got it, he realized even the best success and fame and strength and everything the world thought was so great, it's rubbish compared to you, Christ. And if we can't remember that, if we can't, if we, if it's so hard for us to get that, it's not on just you. You just need a revelation of who this Jesus is. He's better. And he makes even the best things of the world like rubbish in comparison. God didn't just blind him in the natural, open up his eyes in the spiritual, but he did a lot more inside of Paul's heart. I think he taught Paul a valuable lesson about what to do when you're knocked on your butt, okay? And I want to ask you a question. What if Paul, once he was knocked on his butt, what if he stayed on the ground? Can you imagine that? What if he never rose up again? He fell on the ground. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. All those Christians, they're actually in the truth. You're a murderer, Paul. FYI, newsflash, okay? And the weight of his sin and shame, the weight of his murderous acts against Christians, but more than that, if he's that zealously killing people, that means he's that, he's that zealous about trying to please God, and he realizes in a minute that he's let God down. He's messed it up. He's royally screwed up. And the weight of that, when it came crashing on Paul, what if he said, God, I messed up too much. Call somebody else. I've sinned too much. I've went too far down the wrong path. You can't use someone like me. Can you imagine if Paul responded that way to God? But that's how many of us act when we fail, when we sin. When we fall, when trials or difficulties come and we feel weak, when God knocks us on our butts sometimes. But can I tell you tonight, Emmaus, that Christianity isn't about never falling. It's about how good you are at standing back up again. It's not about being perfect all the time. It's about God being your strength, even in your weaknesses. It's about how quick you bounce back again. It's about how long you take to rise up from the fall. It's about how fast that process is for you of repenting and confessing and renouncing and receiving the forgiveness of the cross. You know, I was talking to David Hahn, um, our resident... Um, I'm not going to... Our, our, our staff with a broken knee and, uh, and he... And he and I were talking at the beginning of the semester, and, and everybody thinks that because I'm tall, I should be good at basketball. And that's what everybody's been saying since I was, like, born. And what that has led to is that I was put on so many basketball teams that I should not have been put on. And it led to a lot of traumatic experiences. And now when people are like, hey, let's do some hoops, like, all this fear comes. And I'm like, oh, no, I'll just pass, you know. And I remember I was talking to him. And, and I was just like, he, he, I think he was just talking about basketball, why he liked it. And I remember saying, but you know, like, what if you like screw up a shot and then your whole team's like banking on you making that point, but you, you miss. And then it's not just you who fail, but then the whole team is mad at you. And then you suck. Like, how do you, you know, that's horrible. And I remember he said something that really stuck with me and he said, yeah, but when I played ball, 
we had this thing where if we missed a shot, my coach would put that person right back in the next play, and they would pass, the teammates would pass the ball to them. They had to take the next shot. As soon as you mess up, you're given another chance to take another shot. And so what this, these team members learned was this automatic response. Oh, I missed that shot. Automatically, I'm going to take another shot, and this time I'm going to make it. It's not something they have to force themselves to think about. It takes an hour for them to get their head back in the game because they, they, they thought they just ruined that quarter. No. Immediately, it's, I missed that shot. The next one I take, I'm going to make it. I can't wait to get back in the game. Each player learned to not let failures and mistakes take them out of the game. But I wonder why we can understand that with basketball and not our spiritual walks. And that's what I also love about climbing. Uh, I use the technique I learned, my footwork, all my strength and mental energy. And I'm climbing, I'm climbing, I feel good. And then sometimes I miscalculate. Sometimes I put my foot in the wrong place. Sometimes I think I have a hold, but I don't. And my hand slips. And I fall. I fall off a wall from a high place. And I fall just long enough that it scares me. (laughs) But it's a short enough fall before the rope tenses up and it catches me. And I dangle in the air completely safe. And every single time I take a fall, I hear the Holy Spirit say, Rona, you're never going to outclimb my grace over your life. You're never going to get so high and fall so hard that my grace doesn't catch you at the end of it. Proverbs 24, 16 says, Though a righteous man falls seven, time, he, seven times, he rises again. Everybody say, rise again. Everyone misses a shot sometimes. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone experiences difficulties and disappointments in life that knock us on our butts. I'm not concerned with that. As we leave Emmaus for this semester, what I'm concerned about and what I pray to the Father about is that you will be a people who rise again. Your responsibility is not perfection. Your responsibility is to stand. To shake off the shame, to shake off the disappointment, to stand up again. And some of you think that you've outsinned the grace of God or that the things that came against you this season were too heavy for you to ever bounce back from. But can I tell you that it's the grace of God that kept it from getting worse? It's the grace of God that didn't let you go too far in your sin. It's the grace of God that led you to Emmaus this semester so you could hear someone yelling the Bible at you every week, that you could hear your familiar members at familiar yelling the same message from Tuesday large group at you again, that you could get your text message from your familiar leader every Tuesday, come to large. It's the grace of God. These are all manifestations of the grace of God. The reason you're here during finals week is because the grace of God has drawn you here. And so I know the sin may be scary sometimes and intimidating. The bondage may be real. The fear may be real. The weight may be real. The difficulty may be real. Maybe not this semester, but life is hard, guys. And sometimes we get knocked on our butts. But I know the grace of God is greater. It's greater. And we're called to rise again. 
You know, not everything is lost when you fall, when you get knocked on your butt. Because Paul was closer to his destiny, to his purpose, to his calling when he was knocked on his butt than when he was running around in his strength persecuting Christians. When he was the most powerful, educated, successful in his own eyes and in the eyes of the world, he was the most far off from what he was actually called to. But when he was blind and helpless on the ground, that's when he was closer to his destiny and call and purpose. If you're not walking in the right revelation of who God is, it doesn't matter how fast you're going or how much you're doing for him. You know, the thing about standing up is that sometimes when we stand, the ground that we stand on is different than when we fell. And what I, wanna, what I mean by that is that um, there was a season in my life when I was really sick of, of highs and lows of my spiritual walk. And I, I would compare myself to my friend Tina, who's the most steadfast person I've ever met in my life. And I would be like, man, I know I love God passionately with all my heart. And I would do anything. I would die, you know. I would lay my life down and be martyred. But like, man, I want to be steadfast. God, I want to love you steadfastly. Can you help me? So what I did was I found the definition of steadfast. I wrote it on post-it. And every day I would would stare at the post-it, steadfast, resolutely firm and unwavering. You know, like I I would just stare at the the definition I wrote on my post-it and be like, make me steadfast. And then uh, that didn't really work, but I prayed. And then I I prayed, and then what I found was that every single thing in my life, one after another, everything began to crumble. This thing fell, this thing fell, this thing crumbled, and I realized I'm not okay. I am not steadfast at all. I crumbled along with all the things that crumbled around me, and your powerful ED that stands before you, this woman of faith, I was a hot mess. And I remember Tina had to come to my house with food and make me eat because I was such a hot mess. And I was knocked on my butt. And all I had was a couple unshakable things left. Because of God's grace on me, I was able to stand again. But what I stood on was a little bit different. All I had, it wasn't the stuff that, that's fleeting, that's up and down and here and there. And then you, you can't bank on that stuff because it's just going to be gone. And if you place your security and happiness and hope on them, you're going to be the opposite of steadfast, right? But I remember I had a couple unshakable things. I remember growing up in an abusive alcoholic home. And God the Father reaching out his hand and taking me out of that. I remember being homeless, and he said, Rona, I'm going to take care of you. I remember coming to Emmaus as a college sophomore, Heka in bondage and fear, and encountering the presence of God and the love of God, healing all my brokenness, setting me free from addiction. I remember when my father passed away, and the presence of God was so thick and real. And I held on to these few unshakable things I had, and I stood up. I found that I could stand again, but this time I wasn't standing on the, unsha- on the shakable things. I wasn't putting any weight on the things that come and go and are up and down, but I stood up only on God, my rock, my firm foundation. 
The one who never shakes, the one who never changes, the one who never disappoints or forsakes me. I stood up on that ground and I stopped trying to be steadfast. I stopped staring at my post-it every day with a steadfast definition. I just kept standing up every time I felt felt knocked on my butt. I kept placing my feet on a steadfast God. And I realized one day, hey, I'm a lot more steadfast than I used to be. Sometimes God knocks us on our butt so that we, when we stand up again, we put our feet in the right place. You guys, sometimes steady, being steadfast, what it looks like is, is you show up, And you put your face in front of your Bible, even when you don't feel like it. You show up and you sing worship, even when it's hard and things are crumbling in your life. Steadfast, being steady means when everybody's gossiping around you, you keep your mouth shut because you've been called to something better. Steadfast means when everybody's going one way and the word of God speaks to you and you're convicted about something, that you choose to stand your ground Because God set you apart. Being steady, being steady, being steadfast, putting your feet on a steadfast God. And you want to know why I believe you're going to be steadfast this summer. As Emmaus ends with no large group, no familia, no external leader and force telling you to show up to prayer meetings and stay out of trouble, you're going to be steadfast because you have encountered a steadfast God. The retreat, God, that encountered you and, and the, the, the feelings of emotion that you have, I love that. God is a passionate God, and those are amazing moments, but he's also a steadfast God. And the more you spend time with him and behold his love, he changes the way that you are and the way that you love him, and your love also becomes steadfast. I have confidence in the God who is in you, in the God who's called you. And the one thing I want each of you to leave here with is to build spiritual muscle memory, okay? To build spiritual muscle memory. I want you to just, if you haven't written anything down, write these three things down, okay? Number one, get on your knees. Number two, get the revelation. Number three, get up again. Get on your knees, get the revelation, get up again. You know, climbing, it looks like a tall wall and you go high. It's great. It's very fun. Bouldering is this other sport that you don't go high, okay? It's like this high. And the whole point is that you climb things that are impossible to climb for your level. You, keep tr- you, you try and you fall on your butt. You get up and you try the same thing over and over and over again until you get it. Then you go to another route that you can't do and you keep falling down and getting up again. And every good climber boulders. But I hate bouldering because climbing is exhilarating and it's fun and you go higher and you can look down at the view and see that you've done something. But bouldering is just continually failing and falling and it's hard. But it's in bouldering, where you're not going any higher, that you're building the technique, the technique and the skill and the strength that you need. Because when I climb, I realize sometimes, man, 
I wish I could climb higher. I wish I could climb more than just three or four times before my strength wears out. Man, I wish I could climb some of those harder routes. If I bouldered and developed those skills, that technique, that muscle memory, I'd be a better climber. What climbing does to our muscle memory, the trying, the failing, the getting up again and trying again, we need to develop that in our spiritual muscle memory, okay? When disappointment comes, when you sin, when you make a mistake, when difficulties come into your life, Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He didn't say that you're never going to experience difficult situations and confusion and sin and temptation. He said, when you do, take heart, okay? And so I'm not saying, like, look forward to this. But what I am saying is that all of us will experience these moments. And what you do when you get knocked on your butt, that's what counts. And it comes by building a spiritual muscle memory. As soon as that pain, that disappointment comes, you hit your knees. Get on your knees. Tune in to the voice of Jesus. Get the revelation. And then get up again. Get up again. Don't just stay there, but get up again. Your feet are going to be more steady. You're standing on solid, unshakable rock. You know, I was having a conversation with Pastor Sonny, who was one of our retreat speakers, and I was sharing about a difficult situation in my life. And she said, I encountered a very similar situation. And Rona, can I tell you that it's increased my ability to connect to God? In a powerful way. You have to let the pain, she said, the pain lead you to the presence. Everybody say, pain lead you to the presence. She said, every time that pain came into my heart, while my friends were going crazy and hitting the bars, going to, going to their friends, going to, trying to have a good time to numb the pain, she said the pain brought her to her knees and she cried out to God. And then all of a sudden, the presence of God, the tangible manifest glory of God met her in that place. The pain led her to the presence. And every single time the pain came, and even a fraction of the time, a fraction of the, the, the painfulness, Immediately, she would open up her mouth and cry out to God, direct her heart towards God, and the presence of God will fall on her. The pain can lead you into the presence. Don't dull it. Don't numb it. Don't fill it with substitutes that aren't going to help you. But let it lead you into the presence of God. If you do that, it won't ever be wasted. It won't be for nothing. Because those who seek him find him, and he eagerly desires to reward those who seek him. In that season, guys, I hit my knees, not because I'm holy and I was trying to get star, gold stars on my how good of a Christian you are chart, okay? But my pain was real. I didn't know what else to do. So I kept going to my knees and I kept crying out to God. And what Pastor Sonny said was real. His presence came and it changed me. It changed me. And I kept getting those Saul, Saul moments from the voice of Jesus. Rona, Rona. And insert the powerful revelation that changed my life. Okay? And then I would stand up again. Stronger. More dependent on his grace. More dependent on his strength. More dependent on his voice. You can't get that from your familiar leader, from your CD. 
from a sermon you listen to, that has to be developed on your knees before the Savior. Why do I know that you're going to prosper when you leave Emmaus? Because we have been here, Emmaus has been set up, not so that you can depend on us and your your faith crumbles when it ends, but so that you can remember what to do. Ah, this sucks right now. I'm in pain. This difficulty is happening with my family. I know what to do. Because your familiar leader is not your savior. Your CD is not your savior. They are all manifestations of one voice that you have access to. And he's a good shepherd and you can hear his voice. One thing I want to point out is that spiritual muscle memory is not just a cycle of sin. It's a cycle upward, okay? Because every time we hit our knees and rise again, we're stronger. When I was in high school, I remember I, would, um, I was in volleyball, and we had off-season volleyball, the girls. We would lift weights with the off-season football players, okay? So the football coaches were our off-season volleyball coaches. And I remember every so often we would max out on the weights, and we would lift until it was like, It was too much for us. And my coach would print a sheet of paper that says, this is how many reps you do with this much weight on bench, on squat, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember, I remember, I remember maxing out and then getting my new sheet and trying to lift that weight and failing and being like, what the heck? It's too hard for me. And every time I'd go to that stinky weightlifting room, I would try the same weight and I would fail. And then one day I could bench it. But then a couple days later, we maxed out again. And I got a new sheet of paper with new weights that I could not lift. And every day I tried again until one day I could do it. And then we maxed out again. That's what it's like in the spiritual walk. And some of you are so discouraged when it's too hard to keep going, when you've been falling, when you've been weighed down. You, you, you're just so blinded by your failings or shortcomings, and you, you compare yourself, and you think you've got to reach a certain standard. But you've been maxing out. God's been printing another sheet, and the weight that you're maxing out to, the weight that you're lifting, is bigger than the weight that you could lift easily before. Is it a failure to not be able to lift a, a, a heavier weight? than you used to be able to lift before, you're lifting, I'm not phrasing that right. Let me say, okay, let me read my notes. Let me read my notes. What did I say? What did I say? Failing at a greater weight is still better than succeeding at a lighter one. You're not failing, but you're getting stronger every time you get knocked on your butt and every time you rise again. The reason why this is so uncomfortable, guys, is because we continue to try to create a life of comfort and security where we don't need to cry out to God. We don't have to get uncomfortable. We don't have to seek his face. But God is always leading us to a place of greater dependence on him. That's what the Christian faith is. And I want all of us to leave this night committing to developing a spiritual muscle memory. To say, though I've been blinded for a minute, I know I'm going to see again. Though I'm on the ground in this minute, I have the courage and strength to stand up again because I've encountered my God. What can my God not do? Um, I want us to 
I've already went over time. I have so much more to say, but I'm going to close now. So if I can have someone play something, please.